Your presence here tonight is an encouragement to me and to everybody who makes it their purpose to attend Assemblies of the Saints, God's will in Christ being their priority. In a moment, I'm going to read to us from 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Included in the goals we are emphasizing this year, there's this phrase, growing our faith. This passage speaks to that in a comprehensive way. Peter identifies essential qualities to be added to our faith and to be kept steadfastly in mind and in life. There's one part of this I want to give attention to this evening that I think will build us up and serve to refresh our faith and motivate us to grow spiritually even under the pressure of adversity. Before I introduce that part of the passage we're going to focus on, let's just listen to what Peter wrote by inspiration of the Spirit in 2 Peter 1, verses 1 through 11. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective are unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, every part of this we've read, every part of this deserves our review and our study and our application. You can immediately see that this is about growing our faith. These qualities ought to be ours, Peter says, and he adds, they should be increasing. They keep us 
from being ineffective and unfruitful. But as this teaching is introduced in 2 Peter chapter 1, there's something we cannot overlook. The statement in verse 4 that God has granted to us His precious and very great promises. If you have the King James, exceedingly great and precious promises. I can tell you that of all the promises we receive in life, from individuals, companies, government, churches, contracts, friends, and relatives, none arrive at this level of integrity. The promises of God to His people enjoy absolute integrity and eternal good. So, they are precious. They are exceedingly great. And only as I regard God's promises as precious and exceedingly great, will I be fully equipped and motivated to add to my faith, to grow my faith. Tonight, I want to talk to you about four promises you can take into every day. Four promises you can take into every single day. Number one, God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm in Hebrews 13. Verses 5 and 6 in Hebrews 13. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I want you to think about the first time reader of this text. I'm not talking now about the original readers. I'm talking about a first time reader today. As they move phrase by phrase and word for word through the text, these questions might come up. Why should I keep myself from the love of money? Money is pretty good stuff. I like money. I like to use money. There are things I want. Why should I keep myself from the love of money? And then, why should I be content with what I have? And then the answer comes... God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That puts everything on the earth in good perspective. As a preacher, I've heard many marriage vows spoken by couples. Sometimes they write their own vows and speak them with great passion and emotion, sometimes with extremely eloquent speech from the heart. And then I find out years later the promises were not kept. Someone said, I will never leave you over wedding cake, but they did. I've had innocent spouses describe the grief of someone just walking out, walking away from God and walking away from those first promises of royalty when rings as symbols were exchanged. And it happens in friendships. There's a phrase that's popular today, best friends forever. 
sometimes the forever part does not occur. When you hear of occasions where that initial affection and friendship turns into hostility and a friendship is abandoned. Even among brethren, there are betrayals. Paul knew that very well. You remember near the end of his life, according to 2 Timothy 4, Paul said, Demas deserted me. And Paul said, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me. That's a sorry reality that brethren may realize the promises their brethren made were not kept. <clears throat> but every illustration I've given so far, all these illustrations I've given are human. <clears throat> men and women making promises to men and women. Men and women who are capable of sin and sometimes to their ruin make those choices of disloyalty and apostasy and vows and promises are not taken seriously. With God, there is never that concern. Never that concern. We studied in the Bible class this morning from the book of Hebrews in chapter 6 that God cannot lie. And as I read the Word of God and become acquainted with God and the character of the Son of God, I know in whom I have believed. I am convinced that God is faithful. And I can take that truth with me and keep it close to me every single day. Even on those days that do not turn out the way I had anticipated. Even on those days when men and women may turn against us, God is faithful. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. I need to take that into every day. That makes me want to grow my faith even deeper. One more thing about this. Look at this passage through the lens of choice. And the choice is simple. Either love the Lord your God or make money your God. Where should your trust be? We are exhorted here and everywhere to worship the Creator and put our trust in Him. This is captured in narrative after narrative all through the Bible. When David instructed Solomon to build the temple, he encouraged him with these words, Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. 1 Chronicles 28 verse 20. What can man do to me? Nothing because the Lord is my helper. I need that every day. Precious and exceedingly great promises that motivate us to grow our faith. Turn back to the book of Isaiah, chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, where God said to his people, I'm in verses 29 through 31 of Isaiah 40. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. God speaking through Isaiah about himself. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. 
historical context. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah are loaded with rebuke. The people needed to know where they were going wrong, why they would endure consequences, what they were guilty of in order to be called to repentance and be taken seriously and and have the call to repentance be taken seriously, they needed this rebuke. There were statements of hope and promise along the way, but much of the first 39 chapters in Isaiah conveys rebuke. At this juncture, Isaiah chapter 40, there is comfort to be taken seriously by God's people even as they face the severe trials in Babylon. In fact, in most Bibles, most translations, the first word in Isaiah chapter 40 is the word comfort. And that sets the tone from 40 on. Comfort from God for His people who can still be pardoned upon their repentance, though the consequences of their sin would fall upon the nation. This passage in Isaiah 40 is calculated to produce new desire to serve Jehovah. Give up your apostasy and throw the idols away. And culture in your heart new desire to serve Jehovah. Now, to this statement, God says to his suffering people, wait for me. And I will strengthen you while you wait. Hear that again. God says to his suffering people through Isaiah the prophet, Wait for me, and I will strengthen you while you wait. Don't be anxious and rush back into unbelief and sin or stagnate in inactivity. God says, I will strengthen you. And that imagery is of an eagle, one of the strongest, if not the strongest of birds. Now, about this I want to say, while the disposition or dispensation has changed from Old Covenant to New, God's disposition toward His people has not. If we will wait, wait in faith, wait in hope, while growing our faith, God will keep us strong. And we need that because generally we are not good at waiting. I spoke to this in the Bible class this morning. We are, generally speaking, there are exceptions, and impatient people. Human beings want whatever they want from the quick order lane. You've seen, I saw one on the way tonight, these freestanding emergency rooms. And if you noticed what they put on the sign outside those freestanding emergency rooms and clinics, It'll tell you how long the wait time is. See, that's information we demand, even if you've got a broken leg. How long do I have to wait? That reflects that we are not good at waiting. We want to know, is it going to be two minutes or one minute? We're not good at waiting. And when we pray, I mentioned this morning in class... It may be that we want the answer right after we say amen, at least within two or three seconds. God says, wait for me, and I'll keep you strong 
as long as you're waiting for me. And waiting does not mean inactivity in these statements. It means you continue your activity and add to your faith. And God says, I will strengthen you. I can take this into every day to curb my impatience and uphold me when I'm feeling the pressure of temptation or depression. Brother McClenney well instructed us last weekend that we can be more than conquerors through him who loved us. This is rich assurance to motivate us to continue to grow our faith and walk with Christ daily. Be patient until the coming of the Lord, James 5 and verse 7. Precious and exceedingly great promises you can take into every day. James 1 verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. When I read this, I immediately think of this reality. I don't know anyone who doesn't need this. I don't know anyone on earth with sufficient wisdom to find their own way wisely without God. I never read this and say, well, I don't know anybody who needs this. And I know what this is about personally. Let me illustrate what this is about, this need to ask God for wisdom. If the Bible gave us specific instructions for every conceivable and possible decision and situation, you wouldn't be able to carry that book around. Consider again. If the Bible contained every conceivable and possible situation and decision and exactly the sequence of events you need to go through to handle that, it would be a book too large to carry. We are given principles, prohibitions, examples, commands, warnings, attitudes that ought to be generated within us as we follow Christ. And we take all of that into our hearts and lives, but then we face certain specific situations where we know we must apply Bible instruction, but we may not be certain exactly when and how and where that ought to work. We refer to those sometimes as judgment calls. Situations that maybe you've never encountered before and you know you're going to follow the Bible. But often you must fall on your knees and ask for help in knowing exactly how that's supposed to take place. Look at this verse as a promise you can take into every day. God says to his people, I'm listening when you need help. And I will give generously without reproach in response. This is a promise I can depend on every day. Illustration. Sometimes as a preacher and elder, I know something needs to be said. I know I'm obligated to say something to someone about something. But exactly what words am I going to use? And exactly what is the best tone and attitude that I need to take? And when is the best time, the best method, the best circumstance to speak these things? I know I've got an obligation, 
But these dimensions of detail, I am compelled to ask God for wisdom. It is a precious and exceedingly great promise. In 1 John 1 verse 9, there's something all of us need. It says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I read this and never say to myself, who needs this? We all do. Perhaps some more frequently than others, it might be argued. But we all need the forgiveness God provides in Christ offered here through our penitent confessions, our determination to stop doing wrong and start doing better. This is written in such a way, the believing reader finds relief just in the way this is worded. I tell you, there is rich warmth and comfort in that word, forgiveness, cleansing. And then John adds to that as he speaks what the Holy Spirit gave him to, to write, from all unrighteousness. But don't leave out how we access this promise. It says, if we confess our sins. We cannot just reach into the verse and claim the promise without complying with the condition the promise is attached to. I can take this promise with me into every day. And it motivates me to do better and grow my faith. Sometimes growing my faith means I'm going to say, God, forgive me. I have been negligent. The Bible helps me to determine what my weaknesses are and then moves me toward the confession of those so that I can grow my faith. This is a great and precious promise. When I sin, I can be forgiven upon my penitent confession. And this promise is forgiveness. And I need to stop and think, if God forgives me, I need to forgive me. And I do that by trusting Him and what He said and this promise. And there are so many others. We have just touched the hem of the garment of what Peter calls his precious and very great promises. I believe that as I go into this week, I'm going to need to rely on every one of these. Try to burn them into my memory and retrieve them throughout the week. Every day, all week, and I think I'll need to do that the rest of my life. How about you? I hope this study has helped us with our perspective and our motivation to grow our faith based on our trust in God who has granted to us His precious and exceedingly great promises. Let's be standing as we sing.